So I'm going to go back to what I left off at as the time we, we begin the series, and that's back to the uh, book of Second Peter. And uh, this, this evening we'll be primarily concerned with the, the second chapter of that book, and, and we'll be focusing mostly on the first three verses of that chapter as we try to, to come up with something that will help us each and every day in our Christian walk. You know, uh, in the series, in his study on the apostles, uh, Brandon noted that Peter obviously is one of the more well-known of the apostles. We, we know a lot about Peter. We know a lot about his problems. We know a lot about uh, his strengths and his weaknesses. Uh, we know... Well, I don't know what I'm going doing with this thing, but it's going crazy on me. But uh, Peter was very well known, uh, but he didn't write a lot of the New Testament. Uh, the books of First and Second Peter are only the only books that are attributed to Peter, and many people think that the the book of Second Peter was written after his death. So even though it's based on his his life and and probably his words and as he communicated with other people, some people think that someone else wrote the, the book of Second Peter, at least, if not both books. Uh, but, I, you know, some say that they don't even know for sure, they're not even sure if, if Peter could read and write. But I suppose if God inspired Peter, then he could read and write. So I don't think that's a problem. But these are the, the book of First and Second Peter are the only books that are attributed to Peter. But something that is more significant than that to me is that uh, the fact that Peter referred to himself in First Peter five and one as an elder in the church, and that piques my interest because I I want to know what he thought, what he thought the church needed, how he thought the church was doing some problems within and without of the church. Uh, because of the fact that he refers to himself as an elder is very, very intriguing to me. And uh, so I try to listen specifically to the book of First Peter and uh, try to learn what, what we can from it. When we first began the series on the books of Peter, uh, talked about that it could be summed up in, in basically two fr one phrase. Beware, but grow. And we find in Second Peter 3, verses 17 and 18, that we find these two concepts. He says there in verse 17, Beware, lest ye also be led away with the error of the wicked. In verse 18, he says, But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So this concept, these two concepts, this one phrase, Beware, but grow, is the idea that we get from, from uh, the epistle of Peter. So as we begin here today and, and we begin looking into this second chapter, we find that Peter is turning his attention to a topic that I think is very important for us. It's not anything new. It's not anything that we don't know and haven't known for a long time. But it's, it's very important, and it's important because we can all become lazy, if you will, apathetic in our diligence 
of watching for it. And that is the nature of false teachers. Peter begins to talk an extensive amount about false teaching here in this chapter. We're just going to look at one, one aspect of it uh, this evening. But he says <clears throat> there in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. So Peter said this is not anything new. Under Old Testament times, under the old law, there were false prophets. We, we know that. We, we've seen those, those writings about some of those people, and we understand that. But say, it shouldn't be a surprise to us that there are going to be false teachers among you, he's telling the people here at this time. By extension, he's telling us the same thing today. So the, the term there, false teachers, this is the only place it's found in the Bible, in the entire Bible. Here in the book of Second Peter, chapter 2, is the only place it's found. The term, if I can pronounce it, pseudodiscalos is as close as I can get to it. The definition is a spurless teacher, a propagator of erroneous Christian doctrine, a false teacher. Now, spurious means false or fake. I didn't even know what that meant. means it's not what something appears to be. To be a propagator of erroneous Christian doctor means to be an influencer, one that, that puts that out, one that distributes that, one that tries to get someone to follow that. That's a propagator of erroneous Christian doctrine. And like I said, this is the only time in the Bible that this term is used. Peter's use of it here and his description of these false teachers throughout this chapter strongly uh, expresses to me that uh, it's someone more than just simply in error, making a mistake. It's more than that. You know, we read in the Bible of a man named Apollos that was preaching a doctrine and it wasn't the doctrine of Christ. He thought it was. He was simply in error. It wasn't, there wasn't anything uh, nefarious on his part in, in teaching this. But uh, Priscilla and Aquila approached him about that and talked with him about that and educated him on that, and he changed. So there's a difference between just being in error which we can all do and probably all have done. I know I've been in error my, my share of times. And there's someone else that knows what they're doing, and they're doing it anyway. They're spreading false doctrine knowing full well that it is false doctrine. Now that's evil. That's pure evil is what that is. You know... We're told in Matthew 15, verses 13 through 14, David referred to it the other night about blind leaders of the blind. You know, that's, that's just an error. That's not necessarily uh, trying to cause problems. That's just being mistaken sometimes. But these people that Peter refers to here were intentionally trying to lead people astray. 
So I want to consider this in these first three verses of this chapter and, and see what we can learn about these false teachers and their nature. First thing we, we want to look at is their heresies. And heresy is not a, not a term that we use a lot, but uh, I'm going to chase this rabbit hole a little bit because I think it's important that we understand these terms. We understand how we should use them if we find it necessary to use them. But we'll find also some things about how people might use them toward us. And uh, we need to be, to be understanding of that. Uh, Peter says here in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, uh, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who proudly shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. So he talks about these damnable heresies. And actually a better translation of that word would be destructive. These destructive heresies. That would be a, a better translation. But he also speaks in chapter 2 of uh, these people and that many follow their pernicious ways. The word pernicious there is basically the same thing. It's a destructive way. It's a destructive path. <clears throat> so... As we begin to think about this, I want to look at some other times, some other examples of how this term was used in the Bible. And you're going to find out it's, a, it's pretty interesting because it's basically a different word. It's the same Greek word, but in our English it's a different word. The word heresy is used one time in the New Testament. Heresies is used three times. Heretic is also only used one time. But as we're going to see here in a few examples, there's other, other options to that word. First of all, in Acts chapter 5 and verse 17, the Bible says, Then the high priest rose up and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. That word sect there, heresies, or heresy. It's the same, same word, same Greek word. So in this instance, we have the, uh, the Sadducees. Now, one of the problems with the Sadducees were they denied the resurrection. That's a problem. That's false doctrine. That's leading people astray. And this sect was known to do that. So their doctrine was indeed evil. In Acts chapter 15 and verse 5, the Bible says, But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the Pharisees believed in the resurrection, but they also believed that their traditions that they had had for many years going back to the old law were just as important as God's word. Not only that, they thought that their traditions superseded Jesus, were more important than Jesus. That's a problem. That's false doctrine. And they were leading people astray because of it. They also had a, a practice of saying something from the law that should be done, but they wouldn't do it themselves. You say that's a false doctrine. It's a problem. But here's where it gets interesting. I want you to notice another group in Acts chapter 24 and verse 5. For we have found this man a pestilent fellow, and a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Now who's the Nazarenes here? 
Well, in this case, it's Christians. The first Christians were said to be Nazarenes because Jesus was from Nazareth, and they were followers of Jesus. So here, the Bible is referring to, or this person who is speaking here is referring to Christians as a sect, heresy. It's the same word. So let me ask you something, David. If I, if I referred to you as a heretic today, would you be offended? You probably would be. You probably should be. That word is only used once in the book of Titus in the third chapter. Where Paul was writing to Titus and he said, If a heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject. Now, the word heretic here is very similar to heresy. It's talking about an individual, but it, uh, it is defined by, in the Greek as a schismatic. I, I didn't even have a clue what a schismatic was, so I had, to, I had to chase that for a minute. Well, it's a divisive person, a person that seeks division, tries to cause division. Thayer adds a little bit more to it. In his lexicon, he says it's factitious, which is insubordinate given to dissension, divisive, a follower of false doctrine. So a heretic is not something you want to be, someone you want to be. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 and 35, Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I am not come, I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Did Jesus divide? Yeah, it's possible. In some instances, it's possible that Jesus drove a wedge between people because he demanded that we follow his will and his words. So, was Jesus a heretic? Certainly not. He had the authority to do that. Jesus was not a spreader of false doctrine. He was a spreader of truth. Jesus was not a follower of false doctrine. He followed God's will. You see the difference? But the man that Paul told Titus about was a divisive person that caused people to follow false doctrine. And he was referred to as a heretic. So if I ask you this evening, are you caught up in heresy? Would you find that offensive? Would you, would you believe that's negative? Would you say, no, I'm not? Well, let's look at the definition of heresy. <clears throat> Properly, a choice. That is, a party or sect. That's it. So you find it offensive that you're, you've made a choice to follow Christ? You find it offensive to be a party to a group of Christians that follow God? To be a sect of the Nazarenes or a sect of the Christian? There's nothing offensive about that. Nothing at all. Now, again... Thayer adds a little more to this, and he says, a body of people following their own tenets. 
which is tenets is doctrine or beliefs. That's tenets. We begin to see a little problem. Now, if you're following your tenets and they're the same tenets as God has, they're the same beliefs that Jesus promoted, you don't have a problem. But if you're following your own thoughts and your own beliefs and your own doctrine, then you begin to see a problem. Well, get back to Acts chapter 24. Paul here was accused by a man named Tertullus before the Felix the governor of all kinds of things. He was accused of being in heresy. He was accused of being in sedition. He was accused of many violations of the law of Moses. Now, I want you to notice how Paul reacts to these accusations. He says, but this I will confess unto thee that after they, the way which they call heresy. You see, Paul recognized that Tertullus was using heresy in a negative fashion and it didn't matter. It didn't matter to him. They call it heresy. It's not a problem. Sometimes we might be called a sect today. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <clears throat> I want you to notice something further Paul says. <clears throat> he confessed to Felix, said, I confess unto thee that after the way which they called heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers. You want to call it a sect? You want to call it heresy? Doesn't matter to me. I worship God. And that's who I follow. You see, the term heresy is not in and of itself negative or evil. But I think it's important we understand that because we're going to see something here in just a moment. Back to chapter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, their destructive ways, by reason of whom the way of the truth shall be evil spoken of. Now this is referring back to verse 1. Now notice how Peter refers to these heresies. He says they're destructive. He doesn't just leave it at heresy. You see, there's nothing, nothing inherently evil about heresy. But when it's a destructive heresy, then we got a problem. And we gotta, we're going to have to deal with this. We're going to have to address this. We're going to have to watch for this. We're going to have to pay attention and make sure that we don't fall into the clutches of these destructive heresies. <clears throat> it not only refers to a party, a sect, if you will, but sometimes to the doctrines that are produced by the, these divisions. <clears throat> and that seems to be the primary way that Peter uses it here, referring to the doctrines that these false teachers would bring in. He said they're destructive. He said their ways are destructive. The things they teach are destructive and that they would cause division. We continue on in, in uh, verse 2. <clears throat> says that, uh, And many shall follow their pernicious ways by the reason of them which are the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And, and 
there in, in, I said verse 2, but I meant verse 1, who probably shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them. Even denying the Lord who bought them. Do you suppose that it's possible that these people were at one time Christians? I don't find any other place in the Bible where it refers to people that were bought by Christ that they weren't Christians. And it refers to them here in 2 Peter chapter 1, or chapter 2, verse 1, as having been bought. <clears throat> now, this may refer to either their doctrine or as they promoted it or, or whatever their doctrine produced, the problems that followed it. Uh, but there were literally those in, in that day that denied a lot of things about the Lord. They still do today. Second John chapter, or Second John verse 7. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. These are a deceiver and antichrist. They're harmful. They deny the Lord. They deny the Lord's uh, Godhead. They deny his death on the cross. They deny his resurrection. They deny everything about him. <clears throat> You see, Peter said that the Lord bought them. So it certainly suggests that, that uh, they were at one time Christians. Look, look at another scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. For ye were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. This is referring to those at Corinth, those Christians at Corinth. He said, you were bought with a price. He said the same thing about the people that were false teachers here in 2 Peter. They were later described in, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, as those that have escaped from pollutions of the world. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter is worse for them than the beginning. Many times we wonder who the Bible is referring to here. It's these false teachers. That's who the Bible is referring to in verse 20. Well, why were their doctrines so destructive? Why were they so harmful? Because people would follow them. Many shall follow their pernicious or destructive ways. If people follow destructive ways, people are destroyed. Their souls are destroyed. That's why they're so harmful. Instead of following the Lord as they should... Instead of following the one who is the way to salvation, they separated themselves. They caused others to be separated from the way of true salvation. Because of them, the way of truth will be presented as evil. Those in the world that will speak evil of, of who profess to follow Christ, thinking that false teachers are a fair representation of Christianity, are misled. You ever thought that, about that? You ever thought about how much harm saying these people over here that are not following Christ are a representation of Christianity? You ever thought about how much harm that does? Because they're not a represent, representation of Christianity. You ever had somebody say, hey, if you Christians have the truth, why are there so many different churches? You ever heard anybody say that? 
Because many don't have the truth. They're just represented as having the truth. That's what false doctrines do. That's what false teachers do. So knowing this, maybe we can look out for these things and watch for these things and be diligent, diligent to, uh, to be on the, on the lookout for them. As we consider their destructive methods, just a moment, I want you to think about uh, what uh, the first verse of second chapter Peter 2 says about this. It says that they'll, be, they'll do this, but there are false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately, secretly, they don't do it out in the open. They work behind the scenes to try to convince someone to follow their ways, to try to convince somebody to reject the way of Christ. They secretly bring in destructive practices. You know, truth has nothing to fear from investigation. The truth of the Bible has nothing to fear from being investigated. That's what God wants us to do. Investigate the truth. Find out about the truth. Only falsehoods fear of investigation. If a teacher is not willing to let a doctrine be examined openly, then that's a warning. If they don't want to be questioned about their beliefs, that's a warning. And many of them don't. The Bible says that they will appeal to covetousness. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 3. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbereth not. We're going to be looking at this verse quite a bit here in a moment. By covetousness they take advantage they take advantage of it. Don't you want this? Don't you want an easier way? Don't you want a way in which you can have more fun? You can enjoy life more? Don't you want that? That's covetousness. To fall into those ways. When we know the way of truth, we have to follow God. They've trained themselves in covetousness, and now they're trying to train others in this as well. They tempt you through the lust of flesh. Second uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 14. Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart that have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. They offer things that the flesh desires. Wealth, health, power, influence. This is what the flesh desires. And that's what they peddle. They use deceptive words. Verse 3 says that they're feigned words. That's deceptive. Lying words. They take advantage of you with lying words. Peter later adds that they speak great swelling words of emptiness in verse 18. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from them who live in error. See, they're taking advantage of you. They're smooth talkers. They know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly how to deceive people. You know, if you're, if you're speaking with someone and they tell you something out of the Bible that uh, doesn't sound right and you ask them for 
for a scripture to support that and they can't provide a scripture? Don't walk, run. Get away from them as soon as you can because they're trying to deceive you. So now that we know a little bit about how these false teachers work, hopefully we're, we're less likely to be deceived by them. But the best thing that you can do to avoid that is study. Study the Bible. That's the best protection from being misled that, that there ever is and ever will be. Now finally, as we begin to wrap this up, I want you to consider uh, the uh, destruction of these false teachers. What will be their downfall? What will bring them to destruction? Again, back in the first verse, at the end of the verse first, there it says, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. They're bringing upon themselves, but they're trying to take you down with them. They not only want to be, believe these false lies, they want you to believe the falsehoods that they re represent. When this destruction comes on them, It'll be swift. How, how often just in this life have we seen those on television that were false teachers and things just fall apart all of a sudden? Just, just happens overnight. Just completely falls apart. On <clears throat> but their destruction from God will be swift as well whenever it's executed. You know, it might not be on our timeline. We might not understand why, why these are allowed to go on. It'll be on God's timeline. And Peter goes on to reassure us of this a little bit. Let's look at chapter 3 very thoroughly here for a minute. Verse 3, excuse me. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words, with lies, make merchandise or use, make profit from you. Whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Now I'm going to be, be honest with you. I read that verse, I guess, 25, 30 times. And it was just too, too much for me. It was just too hard for me to wrap my head around. So I began to to seek out a different translation that might kind of put it in, in words that made a little more sense to me. And I look at a lot of translations that were very sim similar to the King James, but I, I finally came across the Common English Bible, and I read this verse in it. In their greed, they will take advantage of you with lies. That, we understand that. The judgment pronounced against them long ago hasn't fallen idle. Nor is their destruction sleeping. Now, what does that mean? I mean, Jesus said a long time ago that these false teachers were not going to stand. They weren't going to be there in the end. Their destruction was pronounced against them. Judgment was pronounced against them a long time ago. And sometimes when something doesn't happen on our timeline, something doesn't occur when we think it ought to occur, we get to wondering what happened to God. Where is he? Is he asleep? No, he's not asleep. Their destruction is not sleeping. He's just waiting. He's just following his timeline. 
There may be reasons for that. We don't know. It is always possible that some of these people that, that expel these false doctrines might at some point change their ways. They might repent and follow Christ. Maybe he's waiting on that to happen. But whatever it is, their destruction is not sleeping. And they will answer for those errors in due time. <clears throat> Peter goes on to describe in, in chapter 2, verse 4 through 9, and we'll get to this uh, in another sermon sometime, but he talks about the angels that sinned and how they were cast down from heaven. He goes on to talk about those that were destroyed by the flood, but even though most of the world was destroyed by flood, God was able to save Noah and his family. He goes on to talk about those that were destroyed at Sodom and Gomorrah, but in spite of the fact that they were all destroyed at Sodom and Gomorrah, God was capable of bringing Lot and his two daughters out of that situation. Now I want you to notice verse 9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. God didn't go to sleep. God does not sleep. He knows exactly when it's going to happen. He knows exactly when punishment's going to be dealt out and he knows how to reserve the godly until that day. God did not spare those that were guilty at Sodom and Gomorrah. He did not spare those that were guilty in the days of the flood. He did not spare the angels that sinned. But he spared those that were godly. Second <clears throat> Peter chapter 3 verses 7 through 9. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store reserved into fire against the day of the judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So when the time is right, judgment will be swift. Notice verse 10 here in this same chapter. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. This is what Peter talks about concerning false teachers. He talks about their sect, their false doctrines. He talks about their motives. He talks about their operation, and he talks about their destruction. But that's not all he has to say on the matter. In another lesson, in another time, we'll talk about the doom of false teachers. We find that in verses 4 through 9. We'll talk about the depravity of false teachers. We find that in 10 and 17. We talk about the deceptions of false teachers in verses 18 through 22. Lord willing, we'll do that at another time. But considering the nature of false teachers this evening, we've been warned. Peter warned us. I told you in the beginning I was interested in what Peter thought the church needed. 
This is what he thought the church needed. Watch out for false teachers. Learn how to avoid them. Learn how to, to distance yourself from them. As Paul told Titus to do with the heretic. He said to, the, to, uh, to Titus concerning this man that's a heretic. Said uh, you admonish him once. You admonish him twice. And then you get away from him. What if there was someone coming into this assembly today. And for whatever unknown reason, we allowed them to get up and speak from the pulpit. And they said, you know what? I know what's been taught a long time in the church of Christ. But I'm telling you that baptism is not necessary for, for salvation. You know what's going to happen? Some of the leadership's going to take that guy saying, look, dude, you can't, you can't preach that here. That's false. That's a false doctrine. And you're not allowed to speak that in this assembly. And for whatever reason, maybe we allow him a second chance. And he gets up and he says, well, you know, that didn't go over real good. But uh, I'm telling you that you don't have to be immersed in baptism. Sprinkling will work just as well. We're going to sit him down and we're going to have that same conversation with him. And we're going to say, if you can't stop this, you're going to have to get out of here. We can't have you here. That's how Paul taught to deal with with false teachers and false doctrines. And that's how we have to deal with them today. <clears throat> but the only sure prevention from following false doctrines or false teachers is to follow the one that has the way of, of truth and godliness. The apostles knew this and said in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Peter gives us admonition to avoid this terrible pitfall. And at the same time, he urges us to follow the one true and living God. Jesus is the only way. So, as you go through your life, whether you're in the assembly of the church or whether you're at work, watch out for people that teach false doctrine. Watch out for people that lie to you and try to make merchandise of you. This is what Peter tells us to do. Don't be deceived. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.